Hi again, everyone. Welcome to Radio MVP Sports Podcast number 126 as we continue down the road of podcasting here on Radio MVP. Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, good riddance 2020. I'm sure everybody has that theory. Been having that Grateful Dead song in my head all day. What a strange long trip it's been, you know, uh, trucking. You know, you hear that in the background. You familiar with that song there, Anthony? You know, I actually am. Uh, Bill Walton would be very proud of you. And the only reason why I know of that song is because of my uh, late nights watching a broadcast with Bill Walton, which, which I will be doing tonight to end 2020. So I'm sure I'll be hearing it tonight, too, because you can never Bill go Walton has a New Year's Eve special? What, what's this? He, Bill Walton is broadcasting uh, USC in Colorado. Uh, were scheduled to play two weeks ago, I think, but right. instead COVID postponed it. Now they're playing tonight, and because the whatever bowl game got canceled tonight, ESPN has now picked up that broadcast and put it on at ten o'clock at night. And Bill Walton's going to be broadcasting it, so I will be. <laughs> so instead of everybody doing their little festive parties, I will be locked into my TV watching two teams I don't care about at all. Well, one, I wish nothing but losses upon, um, and I will be enjoying Bill Walton and the two-hour spiritual fun ride roller coaster that is a Bill Walton broadcast. Now, that is going to be one strange trip into the next year. It is going to be one really, really weird trip. It's only, it's going to be really weird. You know, um, I, I, we've talked about other broadcast or podcasts on this uh, mm-hmm. on, on our show many times, and uh, Bill Walton was a uh, a, spe- a a special guest on. Oh God, it was uh, Richard Jefferson and uh, yes. his a I few times. Yeah. Oh my God, they were phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, first of it? all, yeah, exactly. First of all, the know that the, the background they have uh, where he played with his son Luke and all that in mm-hmm. college, yes. and. Mm-hmm. And then they hear about the TPs in the backyard and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, his son, uh, Richard Jefferson sleeping on the couch yes. and everything. It's just, and like I said, go out and find it. it it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I had, when I first, uh, you know, I was in college and it was late at night on a Friday night, I think. And, you know, that's what the PAC 12 seems to get. They seem to get that late night Friday game in football basketball just to get viewers on nothing else is on, you know, so I get out of the shower and I have TV on and it's a basketball game. And I forget who it was. And I hear this guy just going off on journeys. It's not a, it's not a spiel. It's not a soapbox. It's not a Ted talk. It's a, just a journey that nowhere relates to basketball. And it was Bill Walton. And that's how I got hooked. And I thought that he was joking or they were joking when they said that he sleeps in his teepee in his backyard. And it wasn't until I read his book that I realized, no, he has a fully functional teepee in his backyard. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, he's a really interesting person. Obviously, I've never yes, met him. Yes, he is. But uh, I, very enjoyable. I mean, you you can take whatever you want out of the broadcast, what exactly. you know, what what he brings to it. But on entertainment level, he is one of the best. And I, that's all that matters sometimes. Uh, Dickie V, again, a, a great basketball mind, a coach who coached at mm-hmm. the Collegiate and the mm-hmm. NBA level, you know, just like Bill Walton played, mm-hmm. you know, for UCLA and, and all the days in the NBA mm-hmm. and all the ups and downs of his career. Uh, you can learn a lot about, you know, the game through them, just a different mm-hmm. style of presentation. And, um, yeah, they're they're really good at what they do, and uh, you know it doesn't come overnight. You work at it, and mm-hmm. uh, you know that personality that uh, Bill Walton had. I, and I know it's not for everybody, and that's fine. No, but uh, you know he's it is. It's, he's definitely uh, when I don't know what song he'll have for his funeral, but uh, that line there, what a long strange trip it's been will definitely have to be uh, part of his soundtrack. Um, and God forbid, I'm not uh, wishing uh, any ill wills to him along the way. But uh, yeah, he, you know, being you, my age, Anthony, you know, I'm 50, yeah. I'll be 54 next month. 
I remember Bill Walton mm -hmm. late with the UCLA uh, teams and not mm -hmm. really knowing, you know, just seeing them play. And then when he was with the Portland Trailblazers, when they won their first yes. uh, NBA title, when they defeated the 76ers with Dr. J, mm -hmm. uh, I was a young a young man, you know, I was probably about 10 years old when that happened. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the finals that I remember, you know, the most, I, I seen mm -hmm. a couple before the 75 finals and that, but that was when you, when you really got you impression got yeah, well. about, mm -hmm. you know, pro sports and, and the NBA and, you know, the Cavaliers came along with uh, the miracle of Richville around 75. And that's when I fell in love with the game. And that's when, you know, the broadcasting and everything else kind of all went together as I uh, moved on in years, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Bill Walton, you know, I, I watched his career, you know, uh, late with the, with UCLA and then mm -hmm. obviously, you know, into the NBA, which you really remember. And uh, when he went to San Diego where he had all the injuries and never played and then kind of basically retired and came out of retirement with the Celtics and won the championships with Larry Bird and then to his broadcasting career. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought I never thought we'd be talking about that to lead off the podcast, but uh, hey, you never have, know with have us. You ever have you ever heard of um, Bill Walton Bingo? Not sure. No, I don't think I have. No, a college student uh, from I believe the University of Arizona Makes was sense. watching a Bill Walton broadcast one night. I believe it was Walton uh, doing the UCLA game to his alma mater, and. Uh, he created the Bill Walton bingo. And every time Bill Walton makes a reference, they play Bill Walton bingo on the air. <laughs> and uh, some examples of a Bill Walton bingo card is Bill gets angry at another commercial, uh, a Grateful Dead reference, Conference of Champions, uh, Bill shows off his tie-dye shirt, a random story from an obscure basketball player from years ago, a Luke Walton mention, <laughs> uh, a history lesson, and a lesson of the Boston Celtics. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Uh, I will be playing Bill Walton bingo tonight. Yeah, they should have a place to pull, to uh, ramonize and uh, print out cards for that. Yes. And then I you have be, a Zoom uh, party and everybody can play along. <laughs> tonight you know uh, one, one, one more quick Year's little Eve. note about bill walton matter of fact we mentioned both of these uh uh guys uh, and dickie v and bill walton mm -hmm. when lebron james was a senior i believe mm -hmm. that's when yes. espn started broadcasting yes. some of his games and those are the two who broadcast the game yes. both You're, requested to do those games that was in that was at in Akron. the Q, right when akron yeah. st v's yeah, played. and it was it was yeah. everywhere. It was that you know they played. I remember I believe that they moved games to uh, Rhodes Arena mm -hmm. in, uh, yep. in University of Akron and all mm -hmm. that. And obviously, wherever he played, they played in big arenas uh, because the the number of uh, people who wanted to see him play basketball. I never got to see him play basketball. I lost my chance. He can be Youngstown once, right? Yes, uh, in the playoffs. Yeah, uh, he played Springfield. That's uh, right. And Springfield had a very good team that year. Matter of fact, they had a really good. They beat Ursuline, I believe, that year. They may yeah. have. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, long story short here, I was doing primarily games up in Trouble County all season long. And we did some Springfield games, but we did, you know, a handful of Springfield mm -hmm. games when we could. Because we had, I uh, was working for 1330 and 1440. So when we could simulcast, we did a lot of the mm -hmm. Springfield games. Well, when the playoffs came along, Jim Campbell was doing play-by-play -play and that for iHeartRadio. Mm -hmm. And he jumped on Springfield. And now, granted, they had the flame flamethrower and, and, and 570, yep. and I'm on the small little, you know, Ricky Dink yeah. radio stations and that. And, you know, I'm like, all right, fine. You know, there's no need to compete, you know. Yeah. Right? There's plenty of other games to do. So, sure enough, he's doing, like, the first four games that they had or three games that they had mm -hmm. in the playoffs, all Springfield. So mm -hmm. I just eliminated them from my, my, uh, yeah, my, my schedule. And I stayed in trouble County because everybody else was down here Mahoning. I stayed up in mm -hmm. trouble. And anyways, uh, there was a game, I believe it was Hubbard was playing 
in the playoffs. I have to double check the exact who was when. And I was like, I made arrangements. I says, I would love to be down at Big Lee to do this game. Yep. Uh, St. V versus Springfield, because I know those mm-hmm. kids. I watched them play all year long, you know, both mm-hmm. on the football and the basketball court. And I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, I, and when I says, oh, I'm never going to, I'm not going to do it because everybody is going to be there. Yeah. I'll be up here. So I get to the site to do the game. Lo and behold, there's four radio stations at the game I'm doing. <laughs> four? Four. And there were zero at Bigley Center. How does that happen? Bill Walton decided, I'm not Bill Walton, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> Bill Walton didn't call me. No, uh, <laughs> seriously, uh, Jim Campbell and his two stations that they were running decided that they weren't going to do that game. So they came up and, and did the game that I was doing. And two other radio stations decided not to do that and came up there. And here's the team I've been covering most of the year because it was Trouble County, and that's where yeah. I primarily was all season long. And I'm like, I look at him, and I says, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah. And he kind of like snickered and smiled and like, yeah. I says, who's at YSU? Well, I don't know. No one was there. I was so mad. If i known, if I had any yeah, inkling, I would have been there to do that game. Now, I got to see LeBron James play Ursland in football the year before. Uh, I think he was a sophomore the year yes. I seen him play. I don't think he played his junior or senior. He may have. I'm not 100 percent sure. I but, think you're uh, right. I think he's. I think it was just basketball those two years. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure exactly what he did. I know his senior year was strictly basketball. Yeah, basketball. Yes. Yeah, his junior year he may have played football too. Um, he intercepted a pass in that game. I remember that because um, he was playing safety, uh, I believe, uh, for. Uh, Akron St. V that day. So mm-hmm. anyways, that's my little non uh, little story there about uh, LeBron James as we get into that. But yeah, I was so, I, I still today irritates the hell out of me that, is that they were crap. all at my game. Well, you know what? It, it That's competition and that's the way, you know, broadcasting works. But man, if you're covering a team all season long and they're out you all of a sudden. With them. Well, yeah, that's the thing. You jumped on them in the playoffs and here they are in the regional finals or whatever it might have been, and you yeah. dump them. I was just like, yeah, that's I just shook my head. I mean, if I'd known us, I would have been there because those kids deserve the coverage and they didn't get yep. it. But, and I would have loved to have said I did a LeBron James game. LeBron James but, game, know, yeah. <laughs> that would have been a great throwback Thursday if I had it. But it no, oh my God. does not exist. does not exist. So we don't have to worry about that. Um, happy New Year. Huh? I guess we got yeah. a little segue here into uh, – the college football playoffs in Notre Dame and Alabama kicks it off, uh, you know, tomorrow afternoon. It's going to be a, I, you know, call me crazy here, Anthony, but I think it's going to be a decent game. I think we're going to see. Really? I really think Notre Dame's going to, I, some tells me that they're going to be able to hang with them for at least three quarters. And if they do if really? they make a play, we may, ha- we may be into an interesting final. I don't know. My gut feeling on this is, is just that it's it's the playoffs. Maybe that's what I want. Uh, yeah. But I also think this is this is it for Notre Dame. What I mean by that is this is going to be their best opportunity in many years to be in this situation. Mm-hmm. And I truly yep. believe if they weren't in the ACC, they wouldn't be in this position this year. I honestly do. So I think it'll be much difficult more difficult for them once they go back as a pure independent to get back here. I could be wrong. So they have to be prepared. And I'm quite honest with you, my, my thinking is can Notre Dame really end the season on two bad losses in a row? I know they beat Clemson when Lawrence wasn't mm-hmm. there, but when Lawrence showed up, you know, he dominated the game and yep. they won big. Uh, now you're you're facing Nick Saban and, and Alabama, who's since Nick has got there, being really champions of the world. Uh, mm-hmm. This is this is for Brian Kelly's history. This is for his legacy. If they fall flat two games in a row, that's going to hang on them for a long time. And I just don't know. Even though every year should be different, because people vote on this stuff. I, my gut feeling 
is that it's going to hang on Notre Dame as the time goes by. And But if they perform well, even in a losing performance, people are going to give them better credit going forward. Yeah, I, I agree with you about that. I, I do think this is as much as they say um, they're not playing to change the narrative. And look, partially they're not. They're playing to win this game and move on their championship. But there's also that history, like you talked about, that especially under Brian Kelly, you don't show up in big games and they're not close. And most of those games are decided a quarter, a quarter and a half in. Right. Um, I said after the Clemson loss in 2018 in the semifinal in the Cotton Bowl that they should not be back in the playoffs because they can't compete. I'll agree with you here. If they don't show up tomorrow, um, I can't see a way we get back in the spot again. Uh, I really can't. And as a fan, I've accepted. Uh, I know there's a lot of people out there right. who are, no, they can win a championship. No, you can't. This is not 1988. This is not 1990. You know, college athletics and college football in general has changed the last 25 years. Um, and if a good season is beating Southern Cal and playing in a New Year's Day bowl game and winning it occasionally, great. Um, because I really think you have to change your expectations and your outlook for this program. Uh, based on the state of college athletics right now. Yeah. Um, as far as the game goes, I hate to say that. I can't see how this is competitive. Yeah, see, I really you know can't. what? I had that the thought last, most of the season. And just in the last 24 hours, maybe last two days, I'm, I started thinking, I go, maybe Notre Dame could pull this off. The I loss don't know. of Jarrett Patterson. The loss of Jarrett Patterson at center is a very underrated loss. Um, you know, that's your anchor, your offensive line, your captain, uh, the quarterback of the offensive line. And you've seen the last couple games, uh, starting with the North Carolina game, where they struggled in the whole first half to get anything going. They struggled against Syracuse to get anything going. Uh, Clemson, outside of the first four drives, where they had a chance to take the lead going into mid-second quarter, uh, the offense has not been very good. Right. It's um, it's been able to overpower inferior teams in North Carolina and Syracuse. You couldn't do that against Clemson um, and Notre Dame's weakness all year. And I mean, really, since 2002, their secondary has not been very good. And now you're going to go play arguably the most explosive pass offense in college football in Mac Jones and Devontae Smith, and John Mechie. And don't even mention that they're missing uh, Jalen Waddle, And then you throw in Najee Harris, who on any given carry can run for a touchdown and he can put up 200 on you. Uh, I just don't see how we keep this competitive at all. I, I really don't. Because <laughs> what do you take away? You're, you're taking my what do you enthusiasm take away? away. No, you're right. You're right. And this I, is... I mean, if you take away Mac Jones and the second and the passing game, then you leave Najee Harris to, but if you take away Harris, then it's like Mac. The thing that gives me a little bit comfort is two things. I think we're going to see the Notre Dame team that had chip on their shoulder all year and that play with nothing to lose. And Mac Jones is not a running threat like Trevor Lawrence is. But then again, and also a scary thing, go back and look at Notre Dame following a bye week. And I'll use this from the ACC championship to now as a bye week, Brian Kelly's teams are awful. I mean, they are awful. You look at last year after a bye week, they got beat 45-14 by Michigan in a game where Shea Patterson was like three for 18. Um, be excited and I want to have hope that championship, but I, I can't see a way it's competitive at all. Yeah, you make a lot of sense there. I, I don't want it to be. Maybe, like I said, maybe I'm a fan of the game itself. And yeah. want. I will say this. I think the best chance they have is twofold. Is I think they have to punch them in the mouth quickly Absolutely. and get it and get a lead, you know, uh, and maybe a double digit lead early. And then it's going to be up to the defense to keep this game close. 
and and keep it within striking distance for you have a chance in the fourth quarter. I think, you know, in generally speaking terms, I think that's what needs to happen for Notre Dame is you're going to have to catch Alabama, not with their pants down, but punch them in the face and and take an early lead, knock them down. And in the process, then kind of control the the tempo of the game the rest of the mm-hmm. way and stay close, stay in this into the fourth quarter. Give your team a chance, kind of like Northwestern's done all season long. That's what their mantra was. There yeah. was their, their defense, defense, defense. Let me stay in this game until, you know, give us an opportunity to win. And I think that's Notre Dame's ingredient for victory. I don't think they're going to outscore Alabama no. in a shootout. I think we know that. So the only way they have, when you look at this, uh, honestly, is, is they're going to have to punch them in the face, get up early, survive the 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 retaliation that yeah, will come flurry yeah yeah there'll be a flurry coming back and keep it close where then maybe one or two plays that bounce your way can make a difference in the game maybe you get a turnover late possibly you make a big fourth down stop whatever the case may be but it's gonna be defense that's going to set up the offense or it will be a special team play that sets up mm-hmm. a short field or maybe even a score that might make the difference in this ball game for Notre Dame. I don't, I agree with you. When you look at all the ingredients that Alabama has compared to Notre Dame, it's difficult to see this game close. I want to see a close game because that's what makes sports, mm-hmm. you know, interesting. And, you know, you root for the underdog. You always do. Yeah. I mean, most people do. I mean, other than the team, you're, if that's your favorite team, yeah. you root for the underdog in sports because it makes it more fun. And, uh, but yeah. Like I said, to me, this is a, a game breaker for um, for Kelly and his stay at Notre Dame. I think, you know, it could be the beginning of the end if it's a blowout. Uh, if he's able to keep it close and competitive, then he, I think he's, you know, another 10 years, really, if he yeah. wants it. But if it's, God forbid, 44-7, you know, 45-10 type game, uh, I think it might be the beginning of the end within the next two years. I'll say this. Um, I think barring an epic collapse in the next couple of years, um, Kelly's going to dictate when he leaves, but he might never get the shot again. Cause like you said, people vote on this. The human eyes will be on this game and it will um, cast a big shot. It reminds me, Tim of after Ohio state, lost back-to-back bowl games to Florida and LSU. The narrative behind Jim Tressel teams was there's no way they can hang with quick teams. There's no way they can hang right. with teams with speed and all that. And it really didn't go away until Tressel came back in the Rose Bowl against Oregon and the Sugar Bowl against Arkansas and beat two teams with speed and power. Um, right. My biggest fear is – Notre Dame under Brian Kelly in these games has a tendency to come out very conservative. Throw that to the wind. Throw that crap to the birds. Come out. I want to see them come out like Ohio State came out against Bama in 2015. That's what I'm saying. So you're going to have the initial punch by Alabama. Yeah. Come out. Be aggressive. You know, be physical up front. Ohio State won that game because they were they threw caution to win. They were aggressive with their passing game. And they bludgeoned Alabama and they just continue to bludgeon them. And to me, three or four mistakes that gave you short fields and you're going to have to capitalize on. I'll tell you this right now. I don't want to see any field goal attempts tomorrow by Notre Dame unless it's a game winner. I, I want no field goal attempts because like Eric Wolford taught me my first day, my internship at YSU, six is greater than three. You cannot kick field goals to beat Alabama. You, if you kick field goals, he miles to get on that plane back to South Bend. It all depends on the scenario, but you are correct always, and it always has been in football and never will not be, uh, you know, six greater than three. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. typical math, and uh, you have to make – but here's my point on that is when scoring opportunities presents themselves, if it's fourth and six and you have to kick a field goal, you have to convert. Uh, you know, if you're kicking a 46-yard field goal, you have to you have to make it. You can't miss it. Uh, now if you're inside the 10 yard line, if you're inside the the red zone, then you got to think about touchdowns. 
But if you're outside the red zone, you 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 have to put points on the scoreboard against this team. Now you can't be down 14 to nothing and kick a field goal. No, or, absolutely not. But you can be up 14-3 and kick a field goal. You can be up 14-7 and kick a field goal. Um, you can be tied and kick a field goal to take the lead. But in generally speaking terms, when Notre Dame reaches the red zone or the gold zone or whatever you want to call it nowadays, yeah. um, you have to convert. You have to get touchdowns. And no more that goes in that's football in general, though. That's for every team. Uh, exactly. When you look at Ohio State coming into the game against Clemson, that's going to be exactly the same thing. Yep. You're going to have to score touchdowns, not field goals. Everyone knows, like you just said, six is greater than three. And you're every time Ohio State's in the red zone, they're going to have to convert because this they're playing a team to score points at any given time. And we've seen that last year. I mean, last yep. year's game was won by Ohio State, and then the mistakes happen. And, you know, the, you know bad call and the targeting mm-hmm. and everything else that happened in that game, you know, mm-hmm. that went against Ohio State that gave – Clemson that opportunity to win and they did and I'm not taking anything away from them but yeah it's kind of went down the the avalanche the wrong way for Ohio State in the second half of that game yep and you have to like I said if you can punch a guy in the face and then really you know kind of take some of that confidence away and then you're gonna have to play a, a flawless game you know a really good defensive game and Ohio State's the same thing I mean we, Justin Field is not cannot turn over the ball. He no. can't throw the interception. His ability to run is going to be really important for the for the Buckeyes. Now this year he hasn't run mm-hmm. as much as he did in the past, in my opinion. So he's going to I have to use you. his legs when opportunities arise and make good decisions and get down and avoid hits and and to lead this team. I mean, uh, he's going to need a full caliber of all of his players you know a a lot of has to be available and you know like last year you know a lot went left and he went right you know you can't Mm -hmm. have those type of mistakes and uh you know it's one of those uh scenarios where i you know sermon running the ball is gonna have to have a big game and you're gonna have to try to uh i think the defense for ohio state is gonna have to play a crucial role you know We'll go back to Jim Trestle 101. Uh, win the turnover battles, chances are you'll win the ball game. And that goes for both teams and, and Ohio State and Notre Dame. If they can win that turnover battle uh, and turn them into points, then, yeah, it's it's going to be a huge part of uh, both those games. But you know, I, I, I might be wrong here, but I think we're going to see a really motivated Ohio State. I think this team knows it's on national TV at mm-hmm. the primetime slot. It's mm-hmm. against a school that they have not had success with, a team that they desperately don't mind playing again. I think a lot of people say, oh, no, no, I think that's fans. I think the team itself loves this opportunity to prove themselves again. So I think Ryan Day and his coaching staff and his players will be ready for today's game. Now, what happens, again, the key is going to be, can they put pressure and contain uh, Lawrence? Because let's yeah. be honest, he's the best player in football this year. I mean, he's the Heisman Trophy winner. He should be. I can't imagine him not be. Uh, You can make a case for someone else. But when you look down at what he has done this season and what he's meant to the Tigers teams from Clemson, then I I just don't see how you vote for someone other than him. That's I'm not a big Heisman Trophy guy anymore. I used to be years ago. But yeah, it's it's, it's just to me, it's lost. It's it's significance i'm not saying it's not an amazing award to win or to be uh a finalist in. i think it's phenomenal but it may be in my opinion and this getting a little off track here is the blow up by espn on it that makes me less makes me less happy about it i don't enjoy it like i used to i agree with you you're 100 right it's become um what the mvp is in professional sports the popularity contest Um, well you know I'll, I'll compare it to something. ESPN's coverage of the Heisman Trophy Award is like LeBron James announcing his, his leaving yep. to Cleveland. Hunt, perfect. Perfect. But, uh, that is spot on. That is spot on. It's it's now more for ratings and reviews. That's it. That's what it is. It's a two-hour ratings fast yeah, on a cold, cold December, now January night this year. 
nothing else going on. They got to have something to fill the air. And that's going to be it for a couple of days. Yeah. You know, it gives you lazy radio. It gives you lazy TV. Yeah, it does. It's a ratings bonanza. Yeah. Um, going back to the game, Tim, I'll say this. Uh, we talked about how the Rose Bowl is going to be the defining game in Brian Kelly's tenure. This is going, the Sugar Bowl is going to be the defining game in Justin Fields, Ohio State. Oh, because without doubt. I agree. Last year, um, they were one, two plays away from, like you said, not only winning that game, but winning that game by halftime. That game was on the verge of being a romp. And some plays here and there, we don't need to get back to what happened last year. But, you know, given everything that happened this year, and the Big Ten, you know, postponed against starting late. And then, you know, and Justin Fields was the most vocal of all the Big Ten players of, we want to play. Give us a shot. Give us a shot to play. Um, you heard what Sean Wade said and what Wyatt Davis said. They, they opted out and then re-opted back in for a chance to get back to this game, not to play Alabama, not to play Notre Dame, not to play, to play Clemson and beat Clemson because of what happened last year and the history between these two. Um, they've had this game circled on their calendar since live from the fiasco. Um, for Ohio State to win, you're exactly right. Fields is going to have to run the ball. And I'll say this, he's going to have to run the ball for 65 to 80 yards um, and convert key third downs, uh, convert in the red zone. And I think Ohio State is going to have to get Garrett Wilson involved running the football. You remember the Penn State game where the first two plays of the game were Garrett Wilson jet sweeps and bam, bam, two plays to seven nothing, and that game was over. You never feel that, you know, uh, Ohio State is going to have to be really um, dynamic in terms of quarterback run game. And I'll tell you this, and you may call me a Jim Trestle fanboy when I say this statement, but the most important player tomorrow in Ohio State outside of Justin Fields, Drew Chrisman. The ability to back up Clemson and win the field position battle. Uh, uh, Chrisman, the punter, last year, he sparked them against Wisconsin. You got to pin – uh, Clemson deep. If you give them 50, 55 yards to work, they're going to score a touch and everything. It's Special just... teams will play a big part of the game. There's no exactly. question about it. Uh, I, I, The more successful you're in that phase of the game, the better opportunities you're going to have uh, for your defense and for your offense. And once in a while, Clemson, that it even scores points for you. So yeah, I agree with losing, you. Uh, Clemson's, lo- uh, Clemson's losing Tony Elliott, their offensive coordinator to COVID. Uh, First of all, we wish him the best and hope he gets healthy. Um, But that's going to be interesting to see how Clemson's offense changes, if at all. I know uh, the quarterback coach, we call him the plays. I don't expect it to change that much. But a new voice, a new guy calling plays. Um, For Ohio State to have success tomorrow defensively, Sean Wade's going to have to play like a top first-round draft pick. Because against Indiana, in, in the only game that he faced, NFL competition receivers. He, it, it was not pretty. Uh, Fry Fogel and Filer uh, pretty much had the way of the Ohio State secondary. And yeah. Clemson relies on big plays to score. They saw you saw it against Notre Dame last week, and you saw it against Ohio State last year. Clemson scores on big plays. You should get the momentum going in their favor. Let's let's be honest. It's it's if you can control Lawrence, then you're going to have a chance. In this. That's what it's going to yes. come down to. I mean, he is the most dynamic player in college football. Yep. Uh, both throwing the ball, which he's gotten 10 times better at, and his legs. And yep, that their offense goes around him. It's yep. going to be up to the defense for the Buckeyes to come up with a plan to contain him. And I don't know if they'll knock him out of a game type scenario or anything like that, but uh, they're going to, that's it. It's, it's up to the only way to defeat them pr- properly. And I mean by properly, meaning that you win and you not decisively, but there's no question who the winner is. It's not going down to the last play of the mm-hmm. game is that you have to take his abilities away from yep. Clemson. And that's going to be difficult. I don't care who you are. It can be done. It has been done yes. to many teams and many players. And it'll be interesting to see how Ohio State's defense comes up with with the uh, with the plan that's coming up week, you know what, how they they plan to attack it, and how they plan to try to take care of uh, 
you know, the challenge that's in front of them. So, again, I look I at really Ohio hope- State. Uh, I was going to say, when I look at Ohio State, it's about making every possession they have offensively count. Defensively, it means shorten the game, meaning yes. get him off the field and let your offense exactly. get back on the field. And, and that's going to be difficult to keep Clemson to a short game, meaning let's say six snaps or less yeah. on every drive. That means the three and outs and two, you know, one first down and out and, mm. and not letting them get, you know, eight, nine drive, you know, play drives, or like you said, preventing the big 40, 50, 60 yard plays yes. that they're so famous for. So uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be the key to the game and we'll see how uh, the Buckeyes come about it. But, you know, I think Ryan I day offensively is looking really forward to this game as, I you know, too. and uh, I think we're going to see, you know, a few, uh, not trick plays, but things we haven't seen necessarily before. I agree. I think Ohio State, if you go back, I was talking to somebody yesterday at work, Tim. They've been, I don't want to say very vanilla offensively, but like you said, I don't think we've seen the full complement of Ohio State's playbook in the short and condensed Big Ten season. Because I, I, I think you're right. I think Ryan Day, in the back of his mind, had this game circled. You know, we can't show everything. Um, I hope that he does not get past happy like he did in the first half against Northwestern because I think that was situational. Trey Sermon in the last couple of weeks has run Ezekiel Elliott 2015 hungry. I mean, he is running physical. He's not trying to run out of bounds after a 30-yard game. He's looking to run right through you. And that's incredible. Right now, you he's know what? The- For a a senior transfer that he is and what he has achieved mm-hmm. this year coming into a backfield that was already pretty significantly filled. Yes. And you know, with master Tiggs and others. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. For him to crack through the last three weeks and, and really become the player that they really didn't know, know what they had in him. Exactly. Uh, exactly. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, his impact on today uh, on tomorrow's game. And I'm looking forward to it. I, like I said, I, I may be the most disappointed guy, you know, in Ohio tomorrow. Uh, if, uh, you know, Alabama and Clemson both uh, run away with each game. Uh, I'm sure I won't be the only guy, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sitting in the corner, sipping his beer and wishing he never watched the games. But uh, I really do. I, I, I'm a fool. I'm, I'm a fan sometimes. And uh, like I said, to me, Notre Dame, this is, this is, this is, this is uh, Kelly's game. Bottom line, yeah, you know this. This makes or breaks his legacy at Notre Dame. Yep. Uh, this is his third opportunity in this scenario. Yep. He has to come through, and then I would, you know, I look at uh, Ryan Day. He's a young guy, only his second year. He's been through a lot in two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is important too for him to maintain Ohio State's stature on the yes. national level. But I, you know, I'm not too concerned about that because the players are there. I mean, it's just so amazing what's going on at, uh, at Ohio state and what type of level of players they have been able to recruit year in and year out for the last 10 years. It's just, it's, it's phenomenal. And like I say, you almost every year going into the preseason, you almost guarantee to say Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson yep. are your top three choices to make the Final Four, and then there's going to be somebody else. Now, one of those three may not qualify, but going into the year, that's the one you're you're, you're going to be talking about. It's just the way it works. Uh, you know, I can't wait for the day where USC or UCLA cracks in and makes this really interesting. We have five or six teams. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said before. For me to see those two schools in California not able to compete at this level just blows my mind away with all the talent that's in California and around California and Arizona and and in other states. It just blows my mind away that they haven't found the right person to run that program, you know, since uh, Carol left, you know, in USC and in UCLA. Gosh, can't even remember the last time they actually had a, a, a top 10 team. I mean, I mean, it's been forever. 1990s, 1980s. I mean, it's been a long time. Uh, they've had they've had nice players, uh, but UCLA has been really irrelevant for yeah. a good 30 or 40 years. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, we'll see. But, you know, that's a different story. I know we talked about that last week. And my whole point is uh, I can't wait till we get more teams 
in that conversation. But right now, every year we get, we have three, and that's Ohio State, Alabama, yeah. and Clemson right now. And uh, there's always a fourth, and we just don't know who that is. This year it's Notre Dame. Last year was LSU, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so forth and so forth. So, you know, the two years that Ohio State didn't qualify that deserved to be in was it was disgusting and wrong. But mm-hmm. that's the politics of the game when I say you have people voting and you have group think, and it's you know sometimes it's a terrible thing. And uh, anyways, uh, I'm 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 excited about tomorrow. I think we're going to see some good football. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope uh, those who uh, listen to this prior to that enjoy it. Um, Real quick, let's get to the NFL. My Brownies last week came up short against the Jets and a very important game on the road. They were hit by COVID and mm-hmm. COVID protocols that kept the entire wide receiver core out. Uh, Stay two away offensive from the hot li- tops, kids. Yeah, two, two offensive linemen missing, and you know, uh, they went right down to the wire in most part of that game. They got behind early. Uh, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Good news this week, they play the Steelers as a playoff game. You win, you continue to play. If you lose, chances are you don't. Uh, they'll need some help if they don't. Miami plays Buffalo, I believe, uh, this week. And yes. I heard uh, Fitzpatrick is out. Fitzpatrick tested positive, yeah. Exactly. So he is out, and I don't know all the protocols, of does, who, you know, does, who may be in close contact and all that for Miami. I'm not wishing bad luck on think Tua probably, right? Not necessarily, because my understanding, Anthony, is most teams have learned their lesson from what happened to Denver, mm-hmm. and they have been keeping the quote-unquote quarterback room and other rooms more separated. Isolation. Yeah, more separated. Uh, and even maybe having one person be uh, virtual versus being at that meeting mm-hmm. you know, there. I know it's a little more difficult, but they the I, my understanding is a lot of teams have taken more precaution ever since what happened to Denver, yeah. where they lost all their quarterbacks. And, you know, the NFL, for, for better or for worse, as we said before, they were going to they were gonna plow through the season, even if they had replacement yeah, exactly. players. And they plowed through the season, and, you know, Denver paid the high price having a, a game without a quarterback. The Browns played a game without receivers. Mm-hmm. Uh Baltimore had their ups and downs, but Baltimore broke protocol really, you know, horrible. Uh, you know, we can go on and on with different scenarios, but truth of the matter is yeah, that game probably should have been delayed till Tuesday, but that the NFL just, you know, be honest, they, they just plowed through yep. and they're going to plow through the playoffs too. So uh, you got to be extremely careful. And the Browns have been, Let's face it, they, they've closed their 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 facilities twice this week. Yeah, again uh, today, right? Uh, they may have done it again today. I know that yesterday was closed for a while. Uh, matter of fact, I think they didn't practice till after 4 o'clock yesterday or Wednesday. Uh, they may have closed it again today. I have not heard. Uh, but I think they had it, you know, at least once or twice this week. So it's a, uh, you know, a scenario that they're going to have to deal with. And good news is uh, Roethlisberger is not going to play. And uh, Rudolph will be, and it's in Cleveland, and Miles Garris is yeah. going to be there. And uh, it will be an interesting ball game. And, um, you know, here's the weird thing, Anthony. There's a chance that if the Browns they, win, they can meet again. They can meet again next week in Pittsburgh. Well, let me, uh, let me be the first one to congratulate you on the Browns making the playoffs tomorrow uh, because I – Let's be honest. To me, Mason Rudolph stinks. Yes. He's not good. No. Um, the Browns, even with a couple of subtractions and guys being out, the Browns should win this game by 14. However, being an Indians fan and watching Cleveland sports for now 30 years has taught me when you think the Cleveland team should come in and dominate in a big game, expect it to be right down the wire and nail biting. So as much as I, I think you guys are going to kick the crap out of tomorrow um, or on Sunday, God, I I keep thinking today's Saturday. Yeah, I know. Um, Feels on that way. Sunday, um, I would expect it to be a nail biter. Um, and you're right. Uh, depending on what happens on Sunday, these two teams could meet in the first round of the wild card. Um, yeah. And back you in know, Pittsburgh. 
If it comes down to double doing Parky, then you know God only knows what will happen. How? How? And let me ask you this, Tim. Yeah. Because it's not just the Browns, and it. I mean, why are kickers so bad? I think it's a combination of of, of a, a few factors. I think one of them is that they're not tested enough in a regular season or a reg, in a regular basis. Uh, some of them are just, you know, unique. It's a position that absolutely every team can have, and they can only have one other than this year because of the expanded uh, practice squad because of COVID. So you don't carry two, you carry one. And then you got to find someone who really studies the game as a kicker and works his craft like a Phil Dawson did. Phil Dawson Mm -hmm. came into the league. His rookie year was not what I would say spectacular by any stretch. It was good. You know, it was a good rookie year. But it was after that that you found out how good he could become. And, you know, there was a stretch where he was the best player on the Browns and he was your kicker every year because of how bad the organization was. And, you know, his ability as time went on to master his, his craft was there. Now you get a lot of journeymen like a parky because other teams can't find that right guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he filled in, I believe for Dawson that one year and did an admirable job. But of course the Browns were never that good. And yeah. then he went to Philadelphia and had a good year, but he got let go. Uh, and then he ended up in Chicago. Same thing, you know, had a, a good regular season. And then when games were on the line, couldn't come through. Some guys are just pressure kickers and others aren't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think also the demand on the kicker today to be 55 yards and in is such a high demand that sometimes you lose accuracy for that ability to be able to put a kicker out there, uh, you know, who can kick a 56 yarder on any given time in any given building. And you know, um, I don't know. There's, I think there's a lot of, lot of factors in that. But uh, I honestly do believe that as an organization, you have to put a, an emphasis on improving the player that you have and, 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 and sticking with them through thick and thin. And coaches don't have that mentality about specialties, especially like mm-hmm. kickers, because there's so many out there. If you can't yeah. do the job, I'll bring someone else in. It. I mean, they'll bring – yeah, it's it, not a valued position. Yeah, really. you could be you could be slinging drinks yesterday and then in the NFL kicking a field goal the next day. Yeah, uh, because there's so many kickers out there and available, and that's just the way it works. I, I you know, in history, it's just. But I think you have to find a special athlete who's a kicker who works his craft and understands how to make adjustments, and that's the mm-hmm. key. Uh, you know, it's like I'll go back to Phil Dawson. There's a flagpole in that he had put up in Cleveland Stadium with the with a small flag on it, just to see where the wind was blowing, and he had them do that just for him, and he knew exactly where he wanted to be because of that that pole. And uh, that's what I'm talking about. You have to be you got to kind of almost outsmart the conditions, and you have to know what you're doing, and you have to have uh, the ability to do it over and over again. It's like a golf swing uh, or yeah. a baseball swing you have to repeat it over and over again in different situations and not make much of a, of a change. A golf swing's so critical for a guy to repeat his swing in and out. A baseball player, the same thing. One little glitch changes everything. And a kicker in my mind is a lot like a golfer or a batter. Uh, if one little thing goes different, the whole scenario goes away. Uh, your best hitters can make on the fly adjustments. Your best, golfers can adjust from a bad swing into something positive. And that's what a kicker has to do. He has to be able to say, okay, the ball was not snapped right. Or the, or the, or the strings are to the left or to the right, not down the center. Uh, How do I, you know, let's, I can make this adjustment and, and control the ball. And uh, you know, uh, I think you got to find yourself a, a, a really a kicking coach. In yep. some ways, he doesn't have to be a full-time coach, but somebody who can really work with kickers and do it. Uh, I imagine there, you know, I don't know a uh, in soccer if they have, you know, an actual guy who talks about mm-hmm. how to kick the ball and this and that, how to bend it and how to do certain things with it. Uh, 
I know when uh, Liverpool, when Klopp took over, he had a he got a coach in just to throw the ball in. Really? Yeah, he brought in a special coach to teach him how to do it and how how you know, and everyone kind of laughed at him. But that's the specialties of of the game, and it was a, it's well, yeah, an important part of the game. And I'm thinking the same thing with kickers. It, it's you don't have that one guy who understands the craft enough to work with someone to say how you make differences and how do you get better it's up to the kicker himself to almost coach himself and 90 percent of the time the special team coach i'm sure has a lot to work with them and that's a big part of their grade but um, not many of them are former specialty uh, players like a kicker or a punter and, and i think that's really what it comes down to can you find someone who can talk the same language go through the same uh, sequences with a player and make them better. You know, you're talking about specialties and, you know, it really goes with uh, paying attention to detail and the most successful coaches in any sport are so detail oriented. It kind of drives the outsiders crazy, but there's reason why they win so much. And so frequently, you, you know, you're talking about um, Klopp breaking in a guy just to coach, uh, throwing it in reminds me when Jim Tressel would practice halftime. Yeah. On Fridays, he, he'd practice halftime. And people would think that he's absolutely nuts. But then when you hear him break it down, it's like, oh, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just the wasted time, the wasted seconds, and, you know, all the stuff wasted. You, you know, you, you hear coaches so often say the little things, the details, you know, uh, the inches of the game. Um, Most and, coaches are detail oriented. Uh, you're really good ones. Uh, and I agree with you hundred percent. They find edges in different ways and there's a reason behind everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have some coaches that are yellers and sometimes that works and that's fine. And you have other guys who are very calm and collective yep. and don't say a lot and that works. And some of them talk a lot and they just talk in a normal voice and is able to communicate what they want to say. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to get it done. Uh, it's how you, I mean, I'm sure Bo Pelini is the complete opposite of Jim Trestle, but yes. I would never say Bo Pelini wasn't successful as a head coach, you know, um, and, and, and we're talking about two guys, one who works for one guy, you know, meaning the uh, president of yes. the university who was a former football coach and, mm-hmm. and a guy who took YSU to this latest NCAA championship game. Uh, so you know, who's been in, who's coached bowl games and, you know, every coach goes through up and downs, but my point is there's a lot of different ways to get it done. And I'm not sure one is mastery over the other. It is really, I think more about how organized you can be and how much you can trust those you work with, meaning mm-hmm. your assistants and your grad assistants and everything that goes into it. Uh, and at the NFL level, you, the entire organization, it goes, you know, from the, from the ownership to the GM to the presidency, all the way, however it's structured, all the way down to the guys who set the field every day for you. Uh, it, it matters. I don't think Bill Belichick is a yeller. I could be wrong. No. Yeah, I don't, he doesn't seem that way, but I think you know what he's put pretty pissed at you when you didn't yeah. do something right. Yes, you, yep. <laughs> you, know? yes, you do. Uh, I think uh, Bill Walsh was the same way. I don't think Bill Walsh yelled at people. I think he could, but I don't think he did that often. I, I could be wrong. I, I never... Uh, you know, seen a practice yeah. or anything like that, but you know, coaches, you know, when you do something wrong, some coaches, yeah. you know, handle it in totally different ways, but you know, and you know, you're talking about, you know, Bill Walsh, I mean, one of the greatest NFL coaches of all time. Uh, like I said, there's so many different ways. Vince Lombardi was, you know, obviously his time, uh, Bill, you know, you know, Paul Brown and his time, there's so many different energies and, and ways of getting it done. Dabo Sweeney to me is a great coach. Do I agree with everything Dabo Sweeney does? Hell no. No. But would I not call him a successful college coach and maybe one of the best in the game right now? Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, I may not agree with his style. And I think some right now he's uh, his personality is getting bigger than his team, which yes. is never a good thing. Um, but everybody's different. He's not. He's not Nick Saban, you know, Nick Saban style did not work in the NFL, but it works in college. You know, uh, it's, I think it comes down to a lot of different things and 
organization and belief and and having faith in those who you put in situations to succeed as coaches and those underneath you and those assistants of assistant coaches that really matter. Uh, the guys who uh, get it, you know, I heard a thing the other day is, you know, some of the best players I've talked to in the NFL locker room are offensive and defensive linemen because no one talks to them. And that's true. And <laughs> yeah. sometimes they're the most intelligent ones of all, but you know, it, it all depends, but that the NFL is so different because you have 22 starting players and yeah. half of them only play at one time. And then you have probably, you know, five to seven players who shuffle in on both sides of the ball. I mean, it's amazing um, trying to keep all that organized and, you know, trying to match up properly and do the things. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, I know we're kind of going on a tangent there, but hey, I never know where we're going. Tim, I'm going to uh, say this to finish up. Speaking of coaches, um, and I know we're still 52 days away from kickoff, but uh, do yourself a favor next time you have about 20 minutes and go watch Doug Phillips' press conference from last week or this week on the recruiting class. But it, 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 was, it was a different – you know other typical recruiting day press conferences, we got – Kid A, Kid B, Kid C, and they do this and that, and from and they're from there and the, and you know, it it was really cool um, to see, you know, yeah, he talked about the class, but and he mentioned one or two individuals, but it wasn't, you know, well, this person can do this for us and that person can do that for us. He talked about um, just how as weird as this year has been and how it's you know, been odd not playing in the fall, just how appreciative um, he's been for all his assistant coaches. But his main point was, you know, um, when he goes out and recruits, it's, it's, he's not recruiting to the football program. He said, I can do that easily. He said, I can go find a kid that wants to play football and sign him up that day. He said, I have to sell this kid on, why Youngstown State is the school for him to transform him. And ultimately, why Youngstown State is a better option than, say, going to this school and going to that school. And he finished it with um, what you and I talked about last week is we're going to recruit kids from this area because we're from Youngstown. And when Youngstown State is successful, you can go back on any of the championship teams and look at how many hometown kids they had. And he said, well, you know, look, the talent now compared to then is completely different, but we have child. He gave it a 300 mile radius. He said, and he said, you know, there are talented players everywhere, but we have to get kids that come from a championship culture. And what I found really interesting, he said that, our class coming in this year, the seven kids we got, when it combined 41 and 16, they won three state championships and two finished runners-up. Very, very important stat. Don't get me wrong. I think it's it's he's right. It gets the right attitude of a player. And it also tells you that chances are they're coming from a very good program that produces good players yes. and, and, and so forth. And I'm not going to disagree with that. Winning does produce good ball. It usually does. And as we mentioned last week, uh, the state of Ohio is important to you and has to. Mm -hmm. Now you got to remember, yep. and, I, and I, I'm not taking anything away from what he's saying, because I'm going to actually trying to reinforce it, is yeah. he's coming from the University of Cincinnati. Yes. And he's worked with, you know, with Luke Farrell for the last few years. And understand this. Luke Farrell was going into the kids and trying to recruit them and saying, look, Ohio State's not knocking on your door. You know, Michigan's not knocking on your door. Purdue's not knocking on your door. I am. Come mm -hmm. play for me and yep. watch us do something special. And you're going to play four years for me at Cincinnati. And if you're a great ball player, you'll move on after three years. But you're going to have mm -hmm. great opportunity with great coaching and this, that. Now, that's the sell that Phillips is going to give to his players because his players very seldom, if ever, he'll have a, a player leave early for the NFL. If it ever will happen, I, I'll be shocked if it does. 
but what he is selling is the next four or five years of that player. And that's what matters. And if you don't do those things, uh, then you're not going to be successful. And you're going to get your transfers, you know, just like Pelini did. And some of them were phenomenal players. And it, and it made a huge difference in his program at times. Uh, but you can't live on transfers alone. You have to have players that are homegrown, meaning through your program. I don't care if they come from Indiana or California or Ohio, but they have to mm-hmm. be into the school as freshmen and graduating as seniors and, and improving as the years go by. That's how you structure a program. And I honestly do believe Phillips understands that. He's been around enough coaches in his lifetime to understand that. He was successful at Springfield. He was successful at uh, Salem. So he understands exactly that. And you're, he's not incorrect saying winning ballplayers breed winning teams. He's right. The reason why you're winning is because your your players are good. You, mm-hmm. can, yeah, I can give you ten really eleven really good players that will try hard and do and be really good coach. Guess what? You'll win some ball games with that team. But chances are, when you go up against a more talented team, you're not going to win. <laughs> it's just, I mean, so he's yes, he's simplifying in my eyes. But mm-hmm. you're right. You have to get the best players available, and the best players available most of the time come from successful high school programs. So another interesting stat, you know, I don't want to get on this. We got 52 days. Um, 20 or half of our scholarship defensive players are freshmen. That is good and bad. It's you're exactly right. It's good and bad. It's bad in the sense that uh, February 21st, we'll be staring down uh, North Dakota state, but it's also good that those kids are going to be here three, four, maybe even five years. Well, that's the thing. I mean, is it a building block? Yes. Yes. Uh, how much that they contribute or how, what percentage of those freshmen contribute their freshmen? That's up for Coach Phillip yep. and his staff to figure out. Um, but yeah, that's the way it works. Uh, every four years, you're, you know, you, you're, you got a, cl- every year, you got a new class coming in and a building block. And colleges, you know, you only have four or five years with these players and that's it. So you have to uh, make the most of it. And, you know, some years are more successful than others, but you know, you're going to, that's, that's the challenge of a coaching. So that's the ca- challenge of, of every school. So, yeah. I mean, every, every February or every January, wherever the signing day is nowadays, mm-hmm. December. Uh, yeah. That's the challenge to go get, go get the players because uh, you're going to have players either transfer or graduate and, you have to always fill void. So that's that's part of uh, college football and college sport. Well, I, you can definitely tell that uh, the calendar is changing to January because I'm starting to get that itch again of uh, uh, getting back inside standball. We're 52 days away from kickoff. And, you know, you it, know I see gonna... all these teams playing and, you know, it's nice and exciting, but, uh, boy, I can't re- – I'm ready for the block white helmets to come out again in the field. It's going to be interesting. It's, it's like I said, football uh, for nine months, it's, it's going to be yeah. uniquely different this year. And uh, you know, the division two and division three schools will be playing a short season, only five games for most of them because of the, the, the rules that allow a player to play uh, and continue as a, uh, as a full time student, basically the, the next year, I, I know Division Three. They only play five games. If they play more than that, they yeah. lose their their yeah. year of eligibility. So that's why all those teams are not playing championships seasons this year. They're just playing a five game mini season, and you know that's why probably we have an eight game mini season or abbreviated yeah. season at the FCS level. But you know what? Hey, whatever the case may be, let's enjoy it. There's exactly. going to be football year round. So. Uh, you know, baseball probably going to start late anyway. I, that's why I, I said it yesterday, and uh, people call me crazy. No, I think it has to. I think it'd be foolish right now with everything going on. And, and, and not to get into the COVID life of, that we're living. But let's just let's get into the thought process uh, that the, it can, we can have a successful integration and put into uh, vaccination here in the next three to four months. 
if you can actually start baseball May 1st instead of April 1st and have fans there, Hell, yeah, I would absolutely. take a shorter season absolutely. And, and, and have fans there than start in April and have a long season and no fans maybe till June or July. You're That's exactly just my right. opinion. Uh, I'm not uh, – and if you're an economics guy, you could probably figure this out pretty quickly. Uh, 10,000 fans at a stadium is a lot better than 300 or 500. Yep. You're, you're, and, you're 100% uh, you right. Know, uh, you know, baseball needs its fans. And I, I just think a May 1st start, a tentative start date makes a lot more sense than an April this year. And, you know, we'll go from there. We'll see what happens, but that's, that's a totally different story. And, you know, um, there's some great, great, interesting things going on. So, you know, like I said, I, I'm excited about the, uh, the football playoffs this weekend. Yes. Uh, I'm excited for the Browns game on Sunday. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking Cleveland Browns football the following week, no matter who it's against. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, it'd be just nice to break that drought of 18 years of uh, non-playoff football for the Browns. That's a long yeah, time. It's, it's been really long. It's, you know, let's put it in perspective. It's kind of staggering to think about that. Let's put it in perspective. If you're graduating high school this year, you've never seen the Cleveland Browns play in a playoff game before. Yeah. You're right. Uh, that's kind of st- you're right. That's staggering to think about. My cousin is whole seventeen. Generation. Yeah. My cousin's seventeen, and he's never seen the Browns be competitive. I mean, really, he's never seen the Browns be competitive. Yeah. Really, it was ten years ago. He was seven years old when they last yeah. won ten games. I mean, it was two twenty oh seven. I think it was. So, yeah. Uh, it was a long time ago. Uh, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, it really is. All right, Anthony. I appreciate your time. It's been fun. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, give us a rating and review on the the old iTunes, Apple Podcasts uh, app, and uh, wherever you may download our podcast, we appreciate it. Let us know on our webpage, radiomvp.com. You can always interact us there on each and every episode. And uh, Anthony, uh, have a wonderful new year. Enjoy uh Tonight, it's going to be pretty boring in your house, just like mine. But uh, hey. let's be safe. Let's uh, cheer on some football tomorrow. Bill Walton's going to spice it up a little bit tonight. And you're right. Uh, hopefully, everybody has a safe and happy new year and is ready for tomorrow from 4 o'clock to midnight. Hopefully, we bring home two wins. All right. For Anthony and Canfield, I'm Tim here in Bourbon. Wish you all a happy new year. And we will talk to you soon right here on Radio M. Peace.